0: This is episode 279 of Alohomora for August 31st, 2019. Welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MungLed.com's in-depth exploration of the Harry Potter series. I'm Alison Sigurd.
1: I'm Irvin Cateman.
2: And I'm Beth Warsaw. And a warm welcome to another Beth. <laughs> welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you so much. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure.
3: Uh, I think you guys like to know something about houses and anything else yeah. interesting. Uh, so I'm a Ravenclaw followed by a Ravenclaw as we're on the yeah. house duality episode. That's both for me. <laughs> and, uh, I got into Harry Potter at some point in late college. Um, a friend of mine was really into it and she gave, basically handed me Goblet of Fire and said, you have to read this. And I read the first chapter of Goblet of Fire and I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> it was not anything that I expected. And so I set it down because I didn't understand what was happening then went to go see The Order of the Phoenix film, which was in theaters around that time. It made a lot more sense after that. And I haven't looked <laughs> back. I basically binge read uh, everything that was available at that point and waited with so much anticipation for Deathly Hallows to come out.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. We are going to have some fun stuff to talk about. Irvin. what are we talking about today?
1: Today, we are talking about house duality. Uh, This was suggested by our listener, Tori, and supported by several listeners in the comments. So, I'm excited to finally get to it. And before we do...
2: Yeah, um, we have a huge shout-out. Our episode sponsor today is Karen Abel. Hopefully, I am saying your name right. But Karen, you have sponsored us uh, for the third time now. So... Thank you, Karen, so much for sponsoring us on Patreon. Yay!
1: Yay. Thanks so much.
2: You are so fantastic, and we are indebted to you. So if you'd like to become a sponsor of the show just like Karen, you can sponsor us for as little as $1 a month, and we are uh, releasing exclusive tidbits for sponsors all the time over at patreon.com slash mora. so go on over there to find out more.
0: And we also want to take some time to give our shout-out Maxima for this episode. And remember, these are upvoted by you, the listeners, um, ones that you want to hear us discuss. So the one that we went with this week uh, is kind of a two-part, um, and it started with a comment from Arthur Dent who said, As for Muriel describing Ariana as a squib, I always read that as the commonly circulated rumor about Ariana's disappearance from the public the Dumbledores probably would have supported it as a convenient explanation or might have even started it themselves. And then this was followed up by Thestral Knight, who said, I don't think the Dumbledores would have supported or started the rumor of Ariana being a squib, because then they wouldn't have bothered with the lie about her being too ill. It makes me wonder if Ariana's name was written down in the Book of Adminutes, and she got a Hogwarts letter. Do children who aren't planning on going to Hogwarts because they are unable or are going to get homeschooled get removed from the book? which I thought was a fascinating question.
2: Yeah, that's super interesting.
1: Yeah, and it started this, like, really in-depth conversation about whether the Dumbledores would have put out that uh, Ariana is a squib and sort of the pros and cons of that approach.
0: Yeah. I was really curious about this Book of admits, and I actually just went to Pottermore because I was like, does it say that anybody gets crossed out? I don't think it does say.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think, like, just once your name's in there, your name's in there, you know, doesn't care if you're going, it just says that you're eligible to.
3: And that leads me to a question actually I just thought of was if a parent wants to homeschool their child for the first couple of years but eventually decides, hey, I, I want them to have the experience of Hogwarts, can you start Hogwarts? in year three or year Ooh, five oh. oh maybe
1: if you like took a placement exam or something oh then again the kids at hogwarts never take exams so
0: yeah they seem <laughs> optional <laughs> just in harry's time there <laughs> yeah it just talks about squibs and how it keeps
1: squibs out i mean i have to imagine oh. there has to be some contingency for that right
0: you would think and what about ones whose, like, parents send them to a different school?
1: Yeah, like, the family moves to England from France or Russia or wherever these other schools are and transfers the kids Wayne to Hogwarts. from
2: Puffs. Exactly! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's totally allowed to transfer schools, so... I don't know what would happen.
0: So do you have to have, like, proof then? Do you have to... If you, like, moved countries or schools, do you have to be like, here's proof that my kid is magical. You have to accept them. I don't know.
2: Probably not. Is that something the ministry handles? Maybe. With international
3: magical cooperation?
2: Yeah, you probably just have to, like, register.
1: Maybe they just give the kid, like, a wand and, like, see what happens.
2: (laughs) Can you do something with this? Yeah. Cool.
1: But I
0: think... I think in ariana's case for sure i think she would have been written down in the book of admittance because she was a witch right we know that for sure yeah but they obviously told everyone she can't go to school she's too ill i wonder how many people use that excuse (laughs) not excuse but like because we also know that delphi well at least she claims she Uh, was too ill
1: (laughs) Whoever wrote her is too ill, but that's its own point.
0: (laughs) We're not going to get into that one. (laughs) For my thoughts, please see the four episodes plus we've done on
1: Kershaw. Uh,
0: Yeah, so it's an interesting question, I guess, of how you stay in the book or don't stay in the book.
1: Well, going back to the question of whether the Dumbledores would spread that rumor themselves, My impression of Dumbledore's modus operandi was always that he just doesn't say what's going on and just lets people get on with the rumor mongering, figuring that like whatever people come up with is going to be more confusing and more creative than like any rumor he actually sets out to start.
0: Well, and I think part of it too, and I think Muriel says this, is that back in those days it was like a complete it was a shame to have a squib. Um, Yeah. I feel like in some ways you can compare it to having like a neurodivergent child, you know? Um, where back in the day that was like shameful. So they would, they would want to hide that and to hear someone say, you know, they have a squib daughter would be a terrible thing. And I feel like they would shut that rumor down.
1: Well, it sort of depends how much you believe Muriel's characterization of that is Kendra very Dumbledore. Because Muriel is like, she was a proud, haughty woman who, you know, would have been ashamed to produce a squib. But you take Muriel with so much salt, like, you know, barrels and barrels of salt, <laughs> not grains.
2: Yeah, very interesting. Thank you, Arthur Dent and Thestral Knight, for yeah making us think about this. This is... Definitely not anything I would have thought of.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well done, guys. And
0: before we jump into our episode, we want to remind you that today's episode is sponsored by Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that delivers vitamins and supplements customized for your specific health needs. You take a short quiz and answer questions about your diet, lifestyle, fitness, and health goals, and Care Of puts together a personalized plan just for you. Um, it's really easy. I did it a little while ago, and it was... Awesome. I'm actually thinking of going back, um, to ordering some care of to try and get into some better healthy routines. Now that I have, uh, moved, I'm trying to kind of start things over and be healthier again. <laughs> um, and it's fast and convenient. It's delivered to your door. They come in little, uh, packets for each day. They're compostable now. Oh, that's even more awesome. Um, yeah. So you don't even have to worry about waste. Uh, and each day you can just be like, here, I don't, you don't have to like dump anything out of a bottle. They're all right there for you, which is nice when I wake up at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> um, <laughs> and my brain is not focusing. The quiz is super easy. It really looks at your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle choices, and then it kind of asks you what you want different in your life. So it's really personalized, which is awesome.
2: And you can retake the quiz anytime you want. Yeah. So I retook it recently because I've been really struggling with sleep, and so I changed some of my priorities around and and got some new stuff. So yeah.
0: And again, those compostable packs, <laughs> uh you can learn more about those compostable packs on Carevs website. Um, and learn kind of how to compost them best on their site. I think that's really awesome because that is kind of, you know, getting rid of more waste is a really good thing to do as well. Or taking care of yourself and taking care of the earth.
2: Yeah, especially something that... um like, the perk of this is that they're individually packaged, but the fact that you don't have to feel guilty about all yeah. the packaging is fantastic. <laughs> it's great. Yeah.
0: I'm actually thinking of going going back to them, too, because I think they helped – I tend to shed a lot. Like, I have a lot of hair, and yes, it sheds a lot. Too. And I think I noticed a difference from when I was taking the vitamins that helped make me shed less and therefore have to clean up my shower drain less. Um,
2: Ooh, that is very attractive. Yes, <laughs>
0: Uh, So if you want 25% off your first care of order, go to take care com and enter open again, 25% off your first care of order, go to take care com and enter open O P E N. Um, let's, let's dive into it then. Let's all pull out our sorting hats. Yes. And do this. I'm really excited about this discussion actually. Um, So like we said, we're doing house duality. So let's start with what is house duality? What do we mean by that? And why people maybe would or wouldn't want to use it? Because there are some people who are like, you can't have two houses. Pick one and stick with it.
1: Those people are a pain in my butt.
0: So I assume then, Irvin, you identify as a dual house. So what is your dual
1: house? I identify as a Ravenpuff. Um, Okay, I have for many, many years. And my understanding of it is that house duality is when you feel like you're pretty much an even mix between two houses. You feel like you would be a hat stall between them. And, you know, sort of depending on the day and the time and which way the wind was blowing, I could have really gone either way. I agree with that. I, yeah. I think it's important to differentiate between house duality where, like, you feel like you're an even mix and sort of you're one house with, like, oh, a wee bit of another. Um, It's sort of the difference between me saying I'm a Ravenpuff versus me saying, oh, I'm a Ravenclaw with some Hufflepuff tendencies. And, like, I don't think everyone is a dual house, far from it. Like, I've definitely met people who are pure Gryffindors and they're exhausting, or pure Hufflepuffs and they're delightful. Uh, but, yeah, um it, at least in my corner of the fandom, uh, there's a lot of dual houses, and so I'm also actually really excited to get into it and, you know, talk it all out.
2: So our... our um Dual house people do, are are they all hat stalls or not quite? I think to truly
0: kind of be a dual house you would you would have to be like you would feel hat stall. Like I I feel like I would be a hat stall. Like between a Gryffindor and a Hufflepuff, I feel mm-hmm. like I could really go either way and even with the Pottermore quiz, I have gone either way. And it's one it's almost like house duality to me feels like You're not entirely sure if you could go either way, so you would actually need the magical hat to tell you (laughs) which way to go. Um, Right,
1: and this is a thing that I think online quizzes are very bad at capturing, because every quiz I've ever, ever, ever taken puts me in Ravenclaw, because... You know, at first glance, with multiple choice questions, I'm very much a Ravenclaw, you know, when the question is, if you're rescuing something, do you rescue a sword, a book, like a pastry or a snake? I mean, like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but it doesn't capture the nuance of like what I value of um, what I want to be, because um, especially after seeing puffs pretty much nonstop the last week, I very much want to be a puff. Uh so yeah, I think house duality is sort of something you need to explore for yourself beyond um just taking
2: an online quiz.
0: Beth and Beth, do you feel like your dual houses?
2: <laughs> Absolutely not. Not even close. Okay. <laughs> I am a puff and I have only ever. <laughs> I've only ever felt like a puff. And um I think maybe when I was little I was good at school and so maybe i thought i was gonna be a ravenclaw but um by the time i sort of knew who i was a little bit better i was pretty sure i was a puff and have been ever since so i don't i don't really ma- like maybe i could see a tad bit of gryffindor in there but only the slightest bit do you what think about you
0: beth house duality is a thing though
2: I do think it is a thing, for sure. Yay. For sure. Yeah, I think, um, one of my best friends is a Ravenclaw. And I'm confident that Ravenclaw is the right, the right house for her. But, um, she has so much puff in her as well. In fact, she takes a lot of convincing to be okay with the fact that she's sorted into Ravenclaw because she feels so puff. Um, and so, yeah, I think, Like for her, the most of my closest friends, I definitely feel like she's a dual uh, Ravenpuff for sure.
1: I find Ravenpuff is actually a very common uh, combination.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think it is too.
1: We can talk
0: about that later though. Yeah. (laughs) Beth. Other Beth. Not other Beth. Uh, I
3: am
1: Ravenclaw (laughs) through and through.
3: Okay. With no other house. (laughs) Which is interesting because Hermione is my favorite character in the series. Me too. And I understand a lot about her and the, and the way that she's written but mm-hmm. in my own life it's Ravenclaw and then Ravenclaw there's there's not anything else so I do think that house duality exists um I have a slightly controversial theory on that um so if you guys are ready for controversy I yes, have some let's go. Let's I'm dive. on this episode. Let's Come on, dive.
1: this episode's been ready for controversy from the first moment.
3: I thought this was the right audience for that, and <laughs> I think where we see house duality, um, when you look at the universe that J.K. Rowling created, and you think in universe, right? Hogwarts is founded by four witches and wizards of their age, who chose the things that they value, but there's no indication that those are exhaustive of the things that people value. Or that they always come together as a set. And so while Griffin, you know, Godric Gryffindor valued his things, there's no indication within J.K. Rowling's universe that those qualities of bravery and chivalry and nerve always come grouped together in one person. You can have some of those combined with some of what Ravenclaw valued or some of what Helga Hufflepuff valued. and I think that's supported by the fact that in her universe, we have other schools that use sorting in different ways. And so I I do think that you see house duality because I don't think that the traits in the house sorting were ever meant to be taken as a full set. Um, like when the hat talks about them taking what they the people that value or have what they value most, it could be two of the three. You know, and they're like, oh, this person values wit and this person values cunning. Maybe they value both of those things. And so they're a raven, claw, leather, and mix. Okay. And that's where the sorting hat comes in and says, well, you should be put in this house.
1: It's controversial.
0: I don't think it's that controversial. I, I think
3: it
1: makes a good amount yeah. of sense. Yeah.
0: <laughs> because I think, and we're going to get into this um, <laughs> when I get into my whole. My favorite system. <laughs> but I think I think you're right. I think everyone has a mix of those traits. And it's almost like... And I think it comes down to the point, too, of is it who you are or is it what you value? Which is always contentious in the fandom of what's really being sorted. Are you being sorted by what you value or being sorted by who you are or who you could become? Is uh, that
1: contentious? I thought it was pretty much bit. settled that it's what you value because...
0: I think there's still some argument out there. I think it's actually a mix of both.
1: I mean, Hermione Uh, Granger though, me, books and cleverness, there are more important things like friendship and bravery and being like, that's why she's a Gryffindor.
0: Yeah, but I think... But we also know Hermione, the hat... Hermione was almost a hat stall, and the hat very strongly considered her putting her in Ravenclaw. So I think it's a mix of both. I think it's both what you value and what you want and also just kind of who you are and who you can become.
1: Well, I mean, the two are usually correlated.
0: Well, to some yeah. degree, yeah. But sometimes I feel like at 11, you don't know that. Does that make sense? Like you don't really quite, it's really hard to kind of suss out what's what you want and what's who you actually are and what you've been raised and how you, how all those things come together. And I think the
3: controversy also comes a little bit with that word value. The houses were structured based on what the, the founders valued? And then are you sorted based on Mm -hmm. how well your characteristics, the way you live your life aligns with those values or how well your own values align with those values? Some people can be witty, but not value that necessarily. Mm -hmm. That's true. So would Ravenclaw value them because they are witty where they might not value that in themselves, not in a negative way, not like not in a self-effacing way or something like that, but just, They don't think that that's the best part of who they are, but Ravenclaw would love hanging out with them because they're super witty. And I always fall back to Ravenclaw. Sorry, because I'm a Ravenclaw.
1: (laughs) No, that's okay. No, That makes sense. That's, you know, close to my life experience. So yeah, all about it.
3: So I think that's where the tension and maybe debate comes in the fandom versus the behaviors you exhibit versus what you would say you personally value, which is why Harry's in Gryffindor, right? Because when given the (laughs) choice, he chose to value not Slytherin, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think Rowling su- definitely supports in her own writing that house duality exists. Otherwise, Dump- oh, no, Dumbledore sure. wouldn't have asked or said sometimes I think we sort too soon.
0: Well, and like I said, I think that's the whole point of the hat stall, you know, to mm-hmm. some degree is um, like eventually there there must be one. There can only be one. But um like I like I feel like that the idea of the hat stall gives
2: room for that. Well, she doesn't even wait to sort of introduce this concept, right? Because right away we get Harry having the hat tell him that he would do well in Slytherin, and then we have Neville, who doesn't seem like at first that he belongs in Gryffindor, and then we have Hermione, who is seems like she would fit in way better in Ravenclaw than in Gryffindor. And so right away, I think that we see that the houses are not as straightforward as the hat makes it seem in
3: his song. So is she in her own subtle way communicating us not to, not to put too much weight on the structure that makes the school function? One of the things I noticed as I was thinking about this topic was, the adults in Harry Potter very rarely have what house they were in at Hogwarts revealed in the narrative as part of the narrative.
0: That's true. 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 Sirius
3: obviously does. And the black family for those reasons. Right. Um, And the potters, because of their relationship to Harry and that self-identification with his father, Tonks, Mad-Eye Moody, uh, Umbridge,
0: where it's not necessarily. Tonks? Is that is that revealed in the text? No, no I was not. just going to say Tonks is only referenced to her school days. She just says, my head of
1: house. Yeah. She
0: doesn't reference what house she but was in.
1: That makes perfect sense because oh, yeah. like we're the ones who obsess over this sorting hat system. Um for them, like, that's the class they were in. Like, I'm twenty seven, I don't go walking around to people being like, So when I was in class eight fourteen in junior high, let me tell you.
3: <laughs> but some people walk around and talk about their sororities and fraternities. So it's not oh, it's not immaterial. It certainly shapes the people you know through your schooling. It's just a Maybe it's Rolling zone commentary on how much should we let it matter?
1: Right. Well, I'm not yeah. saying it's immaterial to, you know, who you are and how it shaped you. But I'm just saying it wouldn't really, like, come up in conversation mm-hmm. um, unless you're just obsessed with the glory days, which is part of the reason we know the houses of the whole Marauder generation, because they are all still completely obsessed with their high school years.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, some of that's arrested development, though.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, I think that's... Re- I never really thought about how... The adults never talk about their house, except when, like, when we get into the epilogue, then it becomes important again. It's like it's not important until you're talking to your kids about about them going off to school. But yeah, I I agree that that it is a message that like it doesn't it doesn't really. It doesn't really matter as much as Harry seem. Harry seems to think it matters a lot, and and the characters that Harry meets on the train on his way to school make it seem like it matters a lot. Yeah. But I I think I think J.K. Rowling is trying to say that whatever happens, you'll be okay.
1: Well, at eleven years old, it would matter a lot, right? Because at eleven years old, you know, you need to find your people. You need to find, you know. Your group, uh, and this is sort of the way that happens. So, yeah, as an 11 year old, I would be all about it. I'd be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what house am I gonna be in? Uh, then as you're like 18 and then you enter the real world, then you're like, okay, it doesn't matter. It's just what some hat thinks. Well,
2: and I think the people that you surround yourself with, whether you're young or not, um, really matter. And it, and I think that makes an impact on your life quite significantly mm-hmm. um and so if if you sort of segregate people into different personality types and then make them spend all their time together um someone who maybe started out with this duality maybe they'll start to bend toward the house that they were sorted into just because that's the yeah. people that they're Surrounded with day in and day out, um, so that's interesting as well. I think it does matter from that aspect that um, oh yeah, sorting those are the people that you spend time with.
1: It, sorting it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Um,
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Uh, and like, frankly, can we just all agree that sorting is a terrible system? Like, <laughs>
0: you know. I don't think I can agree with that, actually.
1: Okay, so you think it's a good idea to put all the brave and foolhardy kids together to put all the racist bigots together?
3: Whoa. Like, <laughs> so, wow, we're just going to stereotype. Wow. I think you're going to get some letters <laughs> from some Slytherins.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like if you sprinkle the Slytherins into the other classes and the Gryffindors and just everyone just sort of keeps each other's most drastic impulses in check.
0: I think, though, that's part of the part of what they do outside of their like common rooms you know um i
2: feel they like have, they have classes with other houses yeah. i think on purpose
0: and i think they are hopeful and there should be more inner house
2: mixing yeah for, like
0: clubs and like other activities
2: that's exactly right i think like we see harry's harry's club is quidditch which is inherently a housed uh club but i think lots of other extracurriculars are not that way and we just don't get to see anything like Like that like
0: we've got the da i mean the da is a pretty exactly like mixing and it feels like no one in the da necessarily is like oh you're on this house we don't talk to you i don't know you at all you know like by the time they get to the da i feel like they've at least had contact with like Ernie and Susan and uh, Hannah and
1: Harry doesn't know who Susan is. Like Susan Bones. No, Susan Bones walks into the Hog's head, and he's like. Girl looks familiar. I feel like I've had classes with her for five years. I wonder what her name is.
2: Harry is also, like, the most oblivious. He only
0: pays attention to the things he wants to pay attention to. Yeah. Harry um, was also trying to save his own life. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm just saying, even with all of that, if you're in a class of 40 for five years, you will learn everyone's name under a normal system. I agree system. with that.
0: That's well, very Well, cool. I think some of it is, yeah, I think some of it, in some ways, it's almost classroom management. <laughs> like... Splitting them into houses and then having a head of house that's over that house that was in that house helps because then they know how to approach these kids. So especially at a boarding school, if you have kids that really need certain attention or like that are having issues, you need someone who understands where they're coming from and understands how they work as and operate as a person to reach them. And I think kind of an easy way to do that is, I mean, you have similar personalities, right? So, I mean, you would not want Snape to deal with the Gryffindors because all Snape would nope. do is like snipe at how ridiculous and reckless they're being. Whereas McGonagall maybe will get after them because she's an adult and has a fully developed brain mm-hmm. about like, like. Don't be reckless, that's bad, but she's also not going to like shame them necessarily for it. You know, she's going to explain to them, okay, look, I know I understand why you're being reckless and why you think these things you had to do now and blah, blah, blah. But here's why that was a bad idea and you need to think more. And Flitwick, you know, Flitwick probably goes to the Ravenclaws with a more logical or cerebral explanations and ways of doing things because that's what those kids need. Um, and so kind of splitting these kids by, by what they need and giving them an adult over them and even other students who are older than them who are like them helps, I think, in some ways of
2: development.
1: But it creates an echo chamber for each of the houses.
2: So here's where I think the mistake is. It's not that they sort. It's not that students live with their house. It's not that they have a head of house who is from their house. I don't think any of that is a mistake. The mistake, I think, is, um, segregating the Great Hall. I think. Oh, I agree with you. Yes. I think forcing students to eat with their own house and not be able to intermingle during mealtimes, um, is really strange but but it's described in the book that that's the setup but if Um, if it was me i i would think that i would just like want to eat with my friends and if my friends were in other houses that we'd just like eat together anyway and then it wouldn't be a big deal i think you can maybe it's just harry not having friends in other houses Well, no, because harry
1: always describes it as like Weird, like you know, Ginny walked over to the Ravenclaw table, and everyone like was looking at her, like, "What's going on?" Um, like, yeah, it's- really
0: though, I think maybe at like feasts, maybe they're mm-hmm, they're a little bit yeah. more strict of sit with your house, like we're more ceremonial. But I right. think like on day to days, I mean, I think Ginny goes to eat with Michael Corner a lot. I think the only, I mean, the one time I can think that it's described as being weird is after when everyone wants to know about the DA. Exactly, and so Hermione's yeah. like, sit down, because if too many people are coming over and gathering together like this, people are going to, eyebrows will be raised, you know? But I don't well, think it's too weird.
2: And and if we assume for a second, just a second, that um, Harry is too strict in his... Uh, idea of how sitting together in the Great Hall should be. The fact that he doesn't sit with Cho in the Great Hall ever is a huge red flag for their relationship.
0: Well, uh, that's because Harry doesn't know how to deal with girls. Aren't they always fighting,
1: though? Like They're actually in a relationship for like a hot minute, and then they're fighting over something again.
0: (laughs) That's real. Well, we've kind of gotten away from duality as we kind of talk about things. So should we go back to
1: To dual houses. (laughs) All right. Back to dual houses.
0: Irvin, you had some points up here.
1: I did. Um, So just uh, wrapping up the terminology thing, um, this is a pet peeve of mine, but people try to change the name of the hybrid house based on, like, which one's dominant. And I'm sorry, I'm not about it, because half these combinations just sound (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Like, if we're going by house duality means that you are an even mix, then go with the one that sounds better. So Ravenpuff, Griffinpuff, Slitherpuff, Griffinclaw, Slitherclaw, Grifferin. Because, like, I'm sorry, if you come to me and you're like, I'm a hufflerin, I'd be like, you're a what now? Bless you. <laughs> so, sorry, not sorry. If you're trying to say that you're, like, one house with, like, a lesser uh, amount of second house, then be like, I'm a Ravenclaw with Slytherin tendencies, like I feel like that's very helpful and that tells me a lot more than saying I'm a Raverin would ever tell me. Okay. I'm definitely getting hate mail on that one from someone who identifies as a Raverin, but <laughs> eh, that's what I do.
0: We have a username that's Griffin Prefect. Yes, so. that is the correct like- one.
1: Well done, Josh. Oh well it done. is, yes, you're right. Sorry. You're right. See, j- see, Griffin Prefect knows what's up. So that that's my drop the mic moment. Someone else can pick it back up. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm gonna pick it up because I'm ready to dive into something I have been so excited to talk about. Um, since we're bringing up this topic, I thought I would bring up, I've mentioned it on the show a couple times before, but I thought I would, we could do a little walkthrough of what is actually my favorite sorting system ever. Um, that I think really accepts and kind of leans into the idea of dual houses. So listeners, if you, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but, uh, the blog is called Sorting Hat Chats and you can find them at sortinghatchats.tumblr.com. And they are masterful. (laughs) Um, basically their system, how they, how they kind of make it work. How they describe it is you have two houses. You have a primary house and you have a secondary house. And your primary house describes why you do things, while your secondary describes how you do things. And then on top of this, they also add what they call uh, models and performances, where in certain situations, you might take on characteristics of another house for a certain situation or with certain people. Um, so it's my favorite because I think it makes a lot of sense and it allows for kind of those nuances and personality that I think a lot of people sometimes are like, but I don't fit just in one house. Um, and here's why. So there's a lot to this. (laughs) Um, so I just tried to kind of break it down to its, its basic blocks. Um, so if you want to go check out the blog, if you want to get more details, but starting with the primaries. How they describe them is a Gryffindor primary has a steadfast, intuitive morality. There's little gray area for them. Um, They're very dedicated and kind of following their gut. And what is right is always going to win out over any kind of loyalty. Um, Then we get an interesting kind of twist they put in their system as well, is what happens when why you do things gets twisted somehow and they have different names for it. So a normal Gryffindor primary is just going to be like going with my gut. I know what's right. I have my like internal compass and I know exactly what to do because of it. Um, but if that gets lost somehow, they called a stripped Gryffindor primary and they've lost a sense of in- their internal compass and their world kind of gets shaken. They can't really distinguish right from wrong. Um, And therefore, sometimes they look like Ravenclaw primaries, which we'll get to. Um, Looking for a sort of system or a leader to guide them, to tell them what is right or wrong, and to tell them which direction to go. Feel free, guys, to jump in whenever you want to say anything.
1: Well, uh, I just saw this for the first time today, and just my mind was completely blown. So I'm just sort of sitting here with my jaw on the floor, like, listening to you. So carry on.
0: Okay, I'll try and get through this. Kind of quickly while well, still explaining things. So you don't have to listen to me talk for hours on end. Just me. <laughs> Hufflepuff primaries, uh, loyalty is always going to rank first. And usually that loyalty is going to be to bigger groups, communities, uh, concrete circles of people, traditions, ideas. Um, they really put a lot of stock in the worth of a human being, but in kind of their, their dark side, they can turn to dehumanization so that they avoid feeling guilty if they're not prioritizing a certain group, which I think is fascinating. Um, when when a Hufflepuff kind of goes bad, per se, uh, they call them burned Hufflepuffs, where they've put up barriers and shrunk their community, either in order to feel safe from something as some sort of sacrifice, or because they had a, a time where they need to go against what they feel is their community for whatever reason.
2: Ooh, is this... It's called a burned Hufflepuff, but that makes it feel yes. so permanent. Is that like a permanent state Not of mind? Not necessarily. Um, they talk about how
0: these like kind of like fallen houses, you can bounce back from them. Okay. But it depends on Mouth. how much can heal, but they still need yeah. scars. Yeah. So it depends on how far you go. So for example, and they, they have... Tons of characters that they've sorted. Um, but a major example they have of a burned Hufflepuff is Dean Winchester from Supernatural. Um, where he is very kind of community and like home-based. But he's been so kind of burned by the world that he puts up his barriers very quickly. Um, and kind of blocks everyone else out just to kind of keep himself safe in a lot of ways. Um Interesting, Irvin. You had a point about this one. I did about a Potter character.
1: I did. Okay, so one of my pet theories for a very, very long time has been that Barty Crouch Jr. is in fact a burned Hufflepuff, because if you think about Barty Crouch Jr., his defining characteristic, like the thing he's all about, is loyalty, is just fanatic loyalty to Voldemort, and I mean the patience, the hard work, just th- that is all that he's about. Um, and I think that this describes him to a T that he's a burnt Hufflepuff because, uh, basically, uh, his dad just, uh, you know, was neglectful and they had a horrible relationship. So Barty Crouch Jr. shrunk in that social circle of people he cared about and was loyal to until it was pretty much just him and Voldemort.
2: I love this idea. Okay, Thank you. I do too. Um,
3: to continue with the Hufflepuff. Traits, Barty Crouch Jr. had a very strong sense of fairness. Yes. In talking about how he had, had done more for Voldemort after Voldemort, you know, disappeared, trying to kill Harry, than other followers had done. He had, and his sense of fairness, therefore, in what Voldemort owed him as a result of that, or his relationship to Voldemort relative to the other Death Eaters, Mm. affects that that sense of fair play in a really
1: twisted way exactly and one of the theories that i absolutely love is the reason he taught um harry's class how to resist the imperious is because he himself was under the Imperius and hated it so much that he wanted to make sure other people couldn't be controlled by it the way he was
0: Aww, oh interesting that hurts my heart
1: yeah.
2: Don't get sympathetic for him. He's terrible. I was just going to say, <laughs> I didn't think I was ever going to feel bad for him.
1: Like, I, I love Barty Crunch Jr. as a character because he's so formidable and, like, so compelling. Like, I, it's so sad that we only got one book with him because he would have been <laughs> such a good, like, second-in-command villain. You know, sort of the Bellatrix role. Yeah. Um, If he'd lived to tell the tale. Yeah, he would
3: have been a good, like, three-book Villain. Yeah. Three book I villain. think the
1: problem is that, like, oh, so yeah. Harry and his friends are not that great at at being heroes at this point, so you can't have a villain that is that competent um opposing them, because just, like, Barney Jr. completely had him. Like, you know, his evil plan went off masterfully, yeah. so just, yeah, they needed to get rid of him or Harry would have lost.
0: I mean, he kind of loses his biggest card at the end of the year, though, when they find out he's alive
1: at all. <laughs> right, but that's only like, because he like, reveals himself.
0: Uh he doesn't reveal himself. well, okay. He I does guess accidentally. He kind of does. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. But Moody would have eventually told the story.
1: Well but Moody was unconscious in a trunk.
3: But could you could he have sustained that for three books plausibly in a narrative? I mean maybe I'm looking at like a, from a story structure standpoint. She couldn't have him run off into the night and be questionably alive like Pettigrew in book three. And so after he sort of is revealed at the end of book four, he has to die before he can say anything else about what's really going on with Voldemort. That's just from a narrative structure, not mm, from a mm-hmm. characterization standpoint. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Otherwise, sense. she would have been riffing herself. Yeah, you know, in book four, exactly what she had done at the end of book three, and then then it's just questionable um, in terms of his accessibility then to communicate what the plan was with yeah.
1: Voldemort. Well, and that's such a Masterstroke on her part Because she does a fake out In Prisoner of Azkaban Where the first two books Like you met the bad guy Bad guy was conquered In some fashion or other You know, they, they stab the diary Or, you know, Voldemort crumbles to dust Um But then in Prisoner of Azkaban The bad guy gets away And we're like, what? And then in Goblet of Fire We riff on that Where the bad guy doesn't get away Because um, she's always keeping us on our toes, you guys
0: Yeah <laughs> Well, that's speaking like a true Ravenclaw trying to figure out structure. <laughs> I,
1: thank you. Um, I, this podcast brings out my Ravenclaw side like really <laughs> truly it does.
0: Ravenclaw primaries then uh they classify a Ravenclaw primary as someone who creates and lives by a system that they decide is the best, the truest, or the most desirable. And Ravenclaws, you know they're a Ravenclaw primary and not a different house because without any guilt, if they decide a different system is better or more efficient, they'll switch. But they Truth. don't feel any guilt or nostalgia necessarily for what they were doing before. Truth. Um Yeah. What does our Ravenclaw <laughs> yeah. Ravenclaw have
1: to say about this?
0: Absolutely. 100%. Uh, So the, the kind of, then we have fallen Ravenclaws and fallen Ravenclaw primaries lose faith in the ability to find a system of truth. So that's how they're kind of designated is they, not that they've lost a system at all, but that they feel like there is no system they can find anymore. Um, The example they use is a Javert from Les Mis. Um, don't think of Russell Crowe singing stars. Think of anyone no,
1: else. No, I no, I would, I would never think Just of that. Literally, think
0: of yourself singing <laughs> <Please>. stars. <laughs> um, literally, anyone else but Russell Crowe singing stars. But the song "Stars" is basically Javert becoming a fallen Ravenclaw, and then his only option he feels because he can't see any way to find a new system to live by. Um, Lockhart could be a fallen Ravenclaw.
1: Well, okay, so. I'm just going to keep derailing this with Defense Against the Dark Arts professors. I am so sorry. Go for it. But, so, Lockhart is supposedly, canonically a Ravenclaw with so many asterisks, and it makes me so mad. Uh, But basically, we didn't know Lockhart's house, and then the movies decided he'd be a Ravenclaw because, I don't know, Kenneth Branagh looks good in blue. And then, like, many, many, many years later, Pottermore said he was Ravenclaw, and I'm just like... Is he, though? Because, okay. like, he seems like textbook Slytherin to me, but I was discussing it no. with my meetup group um, a couple months ago, and someone made the point that he is a burnt Ravenclaw, that he is a Ravenclaw who expected, like, the glory and the fame and everything to come from his knowledge and all these pursuits, and when he wasn't special, when that didn't materialize, then he switched to a system where he got fame by any means necessary. So I feel like this system really works well with Lockhart as a burnt Ravenclaw. So I'm I'm coming around. I'm getting there.
2: So I don't want to, like, repeat a conversation I've already had. Um, If you're interested in hearing about – hearing a really fun argument about Lockhart's house, go listen to um, the sorting episode uh, from a couple of years ago. It was – I think that was my first ever episode before I was even a host. I think that was the first time I guested. And Kat and I got into a huge argument about yeah. Lockhart. And I was saying that he was absolutely for sure a Ravenclaw. And she was absolutely sure that he was a Slytherin. Um, and Wait, Kat and I agreed? Just,
1: How odd. Just,
2: <laughs> just a summary of why I think he is a Ravenclaw is that um, I think it takes... A lot of um, academic skill to be able to bamboozle people the way that he did. Um, And I I think he is incredibly smart. Um, And, yeah, I think he's a Ravenclaw through and through. I I don't want to dive into it too much because we spent like Mm -hmm. over an hour.
1: But Ravenclaws (laughs) aren't about being smart. They're about the pursuit of knowledge and he isn't pursuing knowledge.
2: Well, it depends. Cause in this system, the
0: Ravenclaw primary is not about knowledge at all. It's about finding a system to live in. And I think Lockhart does that. Yeah. But his system to live in is fame is the system. And how do you get to that? You get to that by cheating. And so that is his system that he lives in, cheating to achieve fame because that is desirable, the best, the truest form of himself. Um, so I think I think Lockhart's a total uh, – I think he's a, he's a total Ravenclaw primary for sure.
1: I'm going to keep waffling, but you continue.
0: Okay. <laughs> so our last one then is a Slytherin primary. And a Slytherin primary, what it kind of boils down to is Slytherin primaries take care of their own before anyone else. The difference between Slytherin primaries and Hufflepuff primaries is that Hufflepuff primaries are kind of more open. Like they're, they're more open to humanity as a whole, a community as a whole. Whereas Slytherins are more me and mine. My inner circle is the only thing that matters. And this even happens when they are kind of slightly what they call petrified. Um a, pet, a full petrified Slytherin has no inner circle and no plan to get one, and they tend to seem very cold. Um they've been hurt enough that they have decided that no one is worth it. They will not have an inner circle. Um there is nothing. Uh slightly petrified Slytherin primary, I think an example is Tony Stark. Um, though he has in some ways kicked himself out of his own inner circle. Mm-hmm. Um, And if you want to see more examples of why Tony Stark is a and please see all of Avengers Endgame. Like, Mm -hmm. most of it. Um, Because I'm sorry, Tony. Just because you had five years with your family doesn't mean everyone else doesn't get those five years they lost. Like, uh, Clint has
2: kids. Scott has a daughter. Like, get over yourself. Anyway, I'm not (laughs) going off about Endgame right now.
0: All
2: right. I found... Hold on. Before you continue, I found the episode. It's uh, episode 208 from December of 2016 called... Uh, whatever hat.
0: <laughs> That's right. That was a good one.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: another one, and Irvin and I have already disagreed <laughs> on this, but yeah. I, I am fully on board with this is that Percy Jackson is a Slytherin primary because his fatal flaw, canonically, he is told straight out his fatal flaw is that he would let the world burn to save a friend and he wouldn't.
1: Hair. But that flaw never actually shows up in the text. It is just alluded to and never comes into play.
0: Ergo, uh,
1: I don't buy it.
0: Uh because, does it though, because, because the world uh, wasn't
1: burning. The world, like, had a little spark and then it was all okay. Uh but
0: the end of Mark of Athena, he very much
1: Oh, I says, hate that book. I do
0: not care what happens to the rest of the world as long as Annabeth and I are together. And he leaves everyone else. He does not care. Um, he doesn't care. As that's long as love. I, I okay. like to think that
1: someone from any house would jump into Tartarus for their one true love. Well,
0: yeah, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing that he's a Slytherin primary. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. No, but I no, but I, I think, you
1: know, a Gryffindor in that situation would absolutely jump after his girlfriend. A Hufflepuff would totally jump after his girlfriend. The Ravenclaw wouldn't. To I be fair. Know. The Ravenclaw wouldn't. They'd be like, nope, that's a bad idea. That's not gonna work out. Sucks. The
3: Ravenclaw wouldn't have let them go in in the first place. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh. The same. (laughs) I think a Gryffindor would have to ask themselves, is it morally right to leave the world behind and to leave everyone to die for one person? And I think a Hufflepuff would do the same thing. They'd say – do we have to sacrifice one person for the entire community?
1: Well, uh, okay, so sorry. Completely different perspectives. The Gryffindor, I agree, because Gryffindors are all about the greater good. But I feel like their impulsive nature, they'd jump to the Tartars and then be like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. That's
0: true. Uh, a Gryffindor secondary would. But Percy is a Gryffindor secondary.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't ways. buy it. I think he is totally Gryffindor I think he is the Gryffindor to Luke's Slytherin
0: I don't think Luke's a Slytherin at all I think Luke's a a Ravenclaw
1: no Luke is a perfect burnt Slytherin where like his own screwed him over so he's just like that's it like the gods can fall you know like I'm over it I'm over the whole system I think Luke is textbook uh burnt Slytherin according to what he just said
2: okay so Beth and I are over well, here, like we have no idea what you guys are talking. I know. About. I'm I want to go back to the comment that
3: like Gryffindors are all about the greater good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think
0: Gryffindors are necessarily about the greater good. Gryffindors are about morality.
3: Gryffindors, example one, the Weasley twins. Who really don't care about the greater good at all,
1: really? Because they They're, do Potter watch and they fight in the Battle of Hogwarts and they do Dumbledore's Army. I think they very much care about the greater good. They just have fun doing it.
3: but you look at their earlier careers and and this gets to a different question of how how extreme do the circumstances have to be for every house to behave similarly, right? Does everyone care about the greater good when the greater good is everybody dying? <laughs> Like, does it matter what house sure you're in at that well, point? Well, they, they care why about it in very why?
1: different ways, right? Because Gryffindor is like, my morals say that everyone dying is a bad thing. So, yeah. And the Hufflepuffs yeah. are just like, but then all my friends would die. And that's sad. So we want to stay and fight. And the Ringgaws would be like, well, logically, if the population is decimated, then, like, resources, you know, can't be distributed. So we just need the world not to burn. Um, And then Slytherins would, yeah, very much take care of their own and... Sort of try to steal some glory while they're at it. I feel like Slytherins are very much the Sonardier's of this example, where they're, you know, watch them run amok, catch them when they fall, never know your oh luck when there's gosh. a free-for-all.
0: Free <laughs> now I'm going to be singing Lame Is all day. I did.
1: Mean, you brought um, up Javert. You started it.
0: <laughs> I did. I did. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of a quick rundown of the primaries. Then if we move into secondaries, how you do things, uh, the basic breakdown is Gryffindor secondaries are like move, 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 action, make it up as you go along, direct response to every threat, like go, go, go all the time. I personally think I'm a bit of a Gryffindor secondary. <laughs> um, and I'm a, I'm a Hufflepuff primary. That's a little bit burnt um, when I've gone through it myself. Hufflepuff secondaries are very much all about service and support. Um, Building those kinds of things, offering—they even talk about a lot when they break it down—that uh, Hufflepuffs will even help people they hate if they're as part of like the community. Like they'll do it begrudgingly, but they'll <laughs> do it. Um, Ravenclaws are collectors, so collectors of system, collectors of knowledge, collectors of ideas, collectors of tools. They that kind of like bookwormish and like collecting kind of uh, tendency is how they work with the world, right? They do things by having all of these tools at their disposal that they know how to use, um, that they've collected over time. Uh, whereas Slytherins, their kind of how is that they adapt to situations. So whatever's thrown at them, they're just going to thrive in because they're going to adapt to whatever the situation is, no matter what it is, and just kind of move with the motions, Um So that's how, that's how they kind of do those. And then they also give this idea that there's, there's modeling or performing in which you kind of adopt and use tactics from other places. Um, so for example, if you're a Gryffindor, but you have a Ravenclaw model, you might have collected lots of like book smarts, um, in order to be able to do well on something academically challenging or something like that so that you can give that direct response. But a lot of times, models, you'll know they're a model because they drop when you feel safe enough to be yourself again. Um, it is the most fascinating system to me. And there is a lot of detail that goes into it and a lot of like there's a lot. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's interesting because I it works for me. So, I identify as Ravenpuff, right? And just going through the system, I think I am a Hufflepuff primary, Ravenclaw secondary. So, yeah, it checks out. What about the rest of you guys? Uh, you know, how where do you fall based on this system?
0: Like I said, I'm a I think I'm a recovering burned Hufflepuff primary um with a Gryffindor secondary, but I model Ravenclaw a lot.
4: Mm. Um,
0: I think because I come from a family that's very Ravenclaw heavy. right? And so I've kind of learned how to work with those things. Um,
1: Whereas I feel like all New Yorkers model Slytherin when we need to. So yeah, that checks out. <laughs> Anyone else?
0: Beth and Beth, do you think you fit your houses that way
2: in this system? I think I'm definitely a Hufflepuff primary, for sure. Um, (laughs) Hufflepuffs uh, compulsively attempt to understand other people's reasoning behind things. They like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yep.
1: You know, that's the thing. I'm just like, I assume people are lovely and mean well, like, until they prove not to. And then I'm like, you are dead to me.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
3: I guess I would ask you guys, I think that the primaries that they put together here are really well developed. Um, these secondaries, I think, get a little murkier. Um,
0: I think it's just because I
3: really summed them up very quickly. <laughs> no, and that's fair. But I, I know that in your summaries, you were quoting, you know, from their their text. And so I guess the question that I have is, how is the Slytherin trait of facing whatever's thrown at them and adapting to that different than the Gryffindor response of Making it up as you go along.
0: So they have an answer to which this. Which is contingent on your context. Yeah. They have an answer to this. Um, hold on. Let me read the section real fast remember. There, there is a similarity between the two, right? Of they, they thrive in these situations where they have to react, act on instinct, make it up. I'm rereading the section. Not trusting their own ability to change and adapt can mess up a Slytherin. Uh Going it within with a rigid game plan often only gets in a Slytherin's way, keeping them from following new, better directions as they appear in the moment. This sacrifices their greatest advantage in the situation, which is being able to shift their actions to accommodate new changes in information or actions without being thrown off. Uh, both, Slyther- sorry, both Slytherin and Gryffindor secondaries tend to also be skilled at almost accidentally shaping their world to meet their needs. Gryffindor's genuineness can inspire the world around them, while Slytherins will adapt to their own best advantage without thinking about it. They'll walk into a situation and things will work out to their benefit without them quite knowing what happened or what they did to influence it. So I think in some ways it's uh, like, like the difference between them is that a Slytherin will not have any kind of plan you know, when they go into a situation. Whereas a Gryffindor might have a plan yeah. and then deviate from that plan if they need to. Even if that plan is
3: I just think it's like... it's the
0: opposite, actually. same Hit people. I think it's the opposite. I think Gryffindors
3: see a problem and end up in the middle of it and then decide they need a plan. Yep. And Slytherins see a problem, come up with a plan, and then adapt as the environment responds yep. to... stages of their plan. The
1: best example of Gryffindor's planning I've ever seen is Once Upon a Time, Season 6, when they're in the Underworld Um, and because it's all about Gryffindors and they're like, alright, we're gonna take down Hades and we're gonna do it now. And then the next episode, they're once again having a strategy session and they're like, we're gonna take down Hades we're gonna do it now and we're gonna do it together. I'm like, oh, well you've thought of everything. Well done, guys. (laughs) Like, that is Gryffindor's making a plan before a situation.
3: The Gryffindor show. making a plan to, to tie it into the uh, Marvel universe is Captain Marvel in Endgame saying, okay, let's go get him. Yes. <laughs> then and then let's and get Natasha it. kind of being like, well, do we have a plan? <laughs> Natasha's completely a Slytherin. Yes. Plan. Oh, she is oh. the
1: best Slytherin. Um, you
0: know, I think she's actually more of a Gryffindor. Mm. They, they've sorted her. Um, mm. and now I have to go see because they explained it really well. I remember that. Um, hold on. I'm looking it up.
1: I know you like swear by their sorting, but a lot of the ones I've seen, I no, don't I agree, agree with. with
0: some of them. I, I, oh, sorry. They have decided Natasha is a Hufflepuff with a Slytherin secondary. Um, and she models a lot because that's her job is to model what people want to see. Um, they also say, I'll, that okay. I'll go with Rogers, that. Yeah, okay. they also say Steve Rogers is a Gryffindor, which I disagree with. I think he's a Hufflepuff primary and a Gryffindor secondary, because oh yeah, unquestionably. Um, <laughs> uh, they they think he's a Gryffindor primary and a Puff. secondary. Uh, I'll
1: agree with that one actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's but they talk about how Natasha's heartbroken by the fall of Shield and by the the like crumbling of her community, even if she's the one who had to do it. Um. Well, and I think the yeah. most
3: defining uh, statement that she makes out of her own mouth of her life is that she has read in her ledger. Yeah. Yes. And she needs to – that's that's the sense of fairness that mm-hmm. a puff has. I, I was going to say um, the same thing. Exactly, yeah. In making things right, yeah. But
0: her mistakes that she's made come from feeling a part of a community and accepting the community and the culture and then when she accepts a new community and culture, she gets to the point where she's like, "Wait, what I did before was wrong, and I see that now. So now I have to make it right." Yeah,
3: yeah. So I'm agree- I'm agreeing mm-hmm. with you. Okay. She's an awful. Puff primary with Slytherin yes. if, in this structure with a Sly- yes. Slytherin secondary. Yeah. So Captain Marvel is the Gryffindor in that situation of yes. we're just going to oh, go. Get she's him. a Gryffindor. Hundred percent. And that's that's where I would flip those two things where you were describing like the Gryffindors make a plan and just kind of brazen it out. I don't think they make no. plans. I think they identify a goal and then trust in their own
0: uh boldness yeah. to get
3: that. Do it there. now,
1: do it together. That's the plan.
0: And we'll figure it out. <laughs> yep. So that's the basics. <laughs> And it's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: but- like I, I feel like we almost needed like a separate episode, like for this system, and then for yes. like whatever else there is about houses. Well,
0: let's let's dive into then because I think in this system they have some interesting ideas about Harry Potter characters specifically. Okay, um, I'm just going to give the quick rundown of what they've they've gone with, run- and I disagree with some of these. Harry, Gryffindor, Gryffindor. There's no disagreeing with that. That's just real. Um, <laughs> Hermione, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw. Ron, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw. Which <gasps> really. ah. um, I think Ron's got more Hufflepuff. No,
1: in no. Ron is no. pure Gryffindor. Yes. He is as Ron's pure Gryffindor as it gets. Nope.
0: No. no. <laughs> Ron's methodology uh, is Slytherin. <laughs> I, Neville is a Gryffindor Hufflepuff who models Gryffindor. Luna is a Ravenclaw Hufflepuff. Ginny is a Slytherin Gryffindor, which, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Dumbledore is a Gryffindor Slytherin who models Ravenclaw. Draco is a Hufflepuff Slytherin. So there are some interesting, interesting kinds of things. Um, Yeah, like, for example, they talk about the trio. The best way to a griff's heart is often through their causes. Yeah. and they're like that's part of the reason why the hermione finally yeah. gives in and yeah and gives into the kiss um, the whole weasley family is a great example of a grift primary when percy decides that the ministry is the way to go and his parents are on the wrong molly weeps but the percy's drop percy and or sorry but the weasleys drop percy and percy drops them so when they start deciding that someone is outside of their moral compass they say fine you're dead to me yeah any thoughts?
1: A lot. I'm just sort of collecting them. They're just <laughs> like know. scattered all over all over the place now. Um, okay. Can we talk about Dumbledore? Cause I always want to talk about Dumbledore. So
2: sure. <laughs> you want to talk about Dumbledore? You're what? Shocked.
1: shocked. You're all shocked. Did you know I wrote a book? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I might've mentioned it like once or twice. Anyway. So Dumbledore. So I think Dumbledore is fascinating because I think he embodies all the houses throughout his life. So like, he's sorted into Gryffindor as a kid, right? But I think mm-hmm. um, he has a very strong Ravenclaw side as a kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant. Yep. And then, so once he's sort of done with school and during the whole Grindelwald phase, that's when he's a Slytherin. You know, he wants ambition, he wants power. I agree
2: with that. Yeah. Yeah, His, I think his greater good stuff is very... Slytherin. Yeah. It, it, yes. And
1: so once he gets past that, once the whole Grindelwald thing is over with... Then we actually see him as a puff. Um, I feel like sort of between the first fall of Voldemort and the resurrection of Voldemort, we get to see a very puff side of Dumbledore where he's not just working for the greater good, he's working for the common good. You know, he helps the downtrodden. He is, you know, nice to house elves. Uh, he gives people second chances. He's very much accepting and patient and kind. And then when Voldemort gets resurrected... Then, full Gryffindor, 100% full steam ahead, it is all about the greater good.
2: Yeah, he's, he is extremely reckless with the way that he, um, sort of keeps, keeps the whole plan to himself and acts as if he knows everything and knows best and no one, um, no one could possibly know better See than him. See and- no, that Slytherin.
1: No, that's so. so Gryffindor because, like, he knows his morals.
0: subtle coercion, lies, of omission. He's it,
2: twisting people. It's Slytherin
1: it's- methods, but it, it's a Gryffindor motivation.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, okay, I think he's tr- he means so well with it, but his recklessness, his reckless behavior, is is the problem. But I think because he means so well, I think it's a Gryffindor thing. I don't think Dumbledore's reckless at all. Seconded. What do you mean? I think everything
0: Dumbledore does is extremely calculated.
2: Well, I think it is I think it is calculated, but I think it's calculated. I think he thinks that he that he knows so much. And that he, you know, he's got all the puzzle pieces and only he can connect them. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, got this valiant effort to protect Harry from knowing about all of the, the pain in his life and, you know, all that stuff. And if he just, like, chilled for a second and told Harry what was actually going on, then, there would have been such a better outcome so is, um, is he
3: reckless or is he personally overconfident
1: well also he um lets his emotions get the better of him which is very very gryffindor because he has this whole plan and then it, it all derails because he cares too much about harry um but right. that's a good point so well, yeah
2: i think he has this really really strange combination of overconfident and Self-doubt. like I would agree with that. He, he is confident that he n- knows what's going on and he can put all the puzzle pieces together and he um, is going to be able to set up Voldemort for failure um, and set up Harry for success. But he also, like, as we start seeing in book six he has crippling self-doubt and he has a lot of regret about his life and a lot of pain and and guilt um involved in that and it's a very strange juxtaposition all in one character can
3: you elaborate on his crippling self-doubt just can you give us some examples from, from book six, what you're saying is revealed in that. Characterize well, what he has self-doubt about. Well, I... Because I, like, I think I have a response to you, but I want to hear more about about how you're characterizing that before I just start talking.
2: Yeah, I think he um, he kind of has this retrospection about him. Like, you know, I've done things all wrong. Um, toward the end of his life, I think, you know, he is afraid that by, uh, protecting Harry, he's made a huge mistake by loving Harry. You know, he has put a lot of people in danger, including Harry. Um, I think that he, throughout his life, he doubts, um, if he is, has done enough to make up for, what happened with Ariana? Um, I think he, you know, even in his, his decisions to wait to, um, to face Grindelwald, I think he has a lot of self doubt. I think he is afraid that he won't be able to face him, that he won't be able to do what he needs to do. I think he doubts that he, he is always doubting that he's deserving of the praise that people give him. I think he doubts, you know, as he is offered power and refuses it. I think he is afraid that he's making a mistake by not taking power because he knows that he has the skill set to do a good job. And I think that he also, um, has a lot of doubt about you know how he would be able to handle that which is why he doesn't ever take it like i think he's just always riddled with doubting himself and i think that causes him to be very analytical and calculated because that's the only way that he can function with like all of that doubt weighing down on him
1: can i add a concurring opinion before the rebuttal Yes. (laughs) Um, So I think uh, you pretty much have it spot on. I think he is supremely confident in his abilities. Like, he knows that he is the smartest person in a room. Right. He knows that the only way Voldemort will ever be defeated is, like, the way he's going to do it, because he's the only one with all the tools at his hand. So, like... And he doesn't do false modesty, which is one of the things I love about him. He's like, yeah, I'm like the best wizard there is. Like, you, you know it. I know it. Uh, but he has crippling self doubt about his character. Um, he says in King's Cross that I have known for mm-hmm. a long time that you are the better man to Harry. He says, you know, my, uh, infinitely more admirable brother. Um, he says that, you know, I knew that I was not to be trusted with power. Uh, Just uh, pretty much his whole speech in King's Cross is just self-deprecating of his character. So I think the juxtaposition of Mm -hmm. he knows that he's the brilliant, capable one who has to do this, but he also does not trust himself to do the right things and to be a good enough person. And I think, yeah, those two um, instincts clashing with each other is so fascinating.
3: Thanks for expounding on that, because it actually wasn't going to be a rebuttal, but I really like the word that you used, Irvin. (laughs) That he doubts his character. I was going to use he doubts his motives. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's where his self doubt comes from, and it it's not he's supremely confident in both his ability and his perception of of what needs to be done to solve a problem. Right. Yeah. Like he he figures out yes, there are Horcruxes, and I don't have a hundred percent of the evidence, but the seventy eight percent I do. Like that's where his over, overconfidence shows up. He's like, I don't need a hundred percent. I have 78% and that's enough to move on with. Mm -hmm. And, and so thanks for expanding on that, Beth and Irvin, because I wanted to clarify if I understood where you were assigning his self doubt, because I I agree it's in his, and I liked your word, Irvin, it's in his character, um, which is linked to motives and his past and his guilt over, over what he has, like, grasped for before. And it must— And it's not— Yeah. Sorry. He's so fascinating. Continue.
1: I was just going to say, it must be eating him alive that he uh, screwed up, like, his whole plan against Voldemort because of his character. Like, he had, like, the perfect, like, everything in place to fight Voldemort, and then his weakness of character, he put on the ring, he cursed his hand— He only has a year to live and he knows he's like pretty much the best asset the side of good has against Voldemort. And just his headspace of, oh my God, I did it again. I ruined everything because I was not a good enough person.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine how that must feel. Like that must be torture for him to go through. And I, like, I, as I have grown up um Dumbledore has frustrated me more and more <laughs> um because I I'm just so frustrated yeah. by the way that he treats Harry, how he doesn't give Harry information, how he doesn't how he protects Harry to Harry's detriment. Um and how he doesn't he's not forthcoming, he's not particularly honest and that really frustrates me, but I I truly love the complexity of his character how how deeply we can dive into his character and and i love how he represents something from every house even though he you know he he has a house but but different aspects of his character i think are represented by uh represented by every house and as the figurehead of Hogwarts, I think that's really yeah. cool.
1: And that also uh adds a, another dimension to his statement that we sort too soon. He's speaking for personal experience mm-hmm. because he's yeah. been through all the houses yeah. at that point and he's like, Yeah, no, who I was at eleven, we are long way away from that. Um, <laughs> and it it's true, like at eleven Absolutely. years old, I was pure Ravenclaw. Like one hundred percent blue and bronze all the way. And then as the years have gone by, <laughs> just more and more Huff Puff crept in, and then I saw Puffs, and then I became proud to be a Puff, and it, that was my whole journey. But yeah, they sort too soon. Who would you guys have yeah. been at 11 years old?
0: Oh, gosh. Ravenclaw.
3: Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's repetitive at this point. <laughs> it's a repetitive
0: refrain. <laughs> I think I might a fully gone Gryffindor, actually. I think at that point.
1: And so, like, when, when uh, like, when did the transition start to happen?
0: I don't know. I'm just I was just thinking, my fifth grade class tried to impeach me as class president because I was too bossy. <laughs>
1: oh my god, but- <laughs> that is my
0: favorite thing I've ever heard. Yeah,
4: like that's real though. They
0: legit went to our teacher and they were like, Can we impeach her? She's too bossy. Um,
3: why is that story only now coming out on however many I hundreds of I've episodes we've had? Some point.
0: I think I've I've never it heard some that point. before. That's amazing. I think my Hufflepuff has developed a little bit. I I mean, I've told my Pottermore story where I was like, I'm a Gryffindor. Of course I'm a Gryffindor. And then I took the Pottermore quiz and it was like, you're a Hufflepuff. And I was like, identity crisis. Um, And then I went and took the Pottermore quiz again. And it was like, oh, now after I was like, yeah, sure. I'm a Hufflepuff. And then it was like, you're a Gryffindor. And I was like, identity crisis. Um, So I think, I don't know if I could point to an exact time where my Hufflepuff started to show up a little bit more. Um, And by asking me this question, I think you've just thrown my house identity into like total disarray. So thanks guys.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) It's my fault.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I could point to a specific moment.
1: Um, Well, not even a specific moment, but just like, you know, sort of, time periods errors cuz like i know my puff side began to creep in like pretty much when i went to college and like suddenly like being the smartest kid in the class wasn't the most important thing to me
2: uh that it's interesting that you bring that up because my house journey is kind of weird because when i was young i was really good at school and so i think i just assumed that i would be a ravenclaw cuz i was good at school um And I didn't think very much of it, but as I got older, school got harder and I sort of leveled out and I wasn't, you know, at the top of my, I mean, I was still doing well in school, but I wasn't, I had to work a lot harder to do well in school and, and school was really, really hard for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it was because I didn't have to learn how to be good at school. It just came easily to me when I was young and then then all the kids who had to work really hard at school then knew how to, knew how to do school better than yeah. I did. <laughs> oh, I, no, like I,
1: I had the exact same I thing. Happened. That,
2: 100%. And I, and I really struggled in, in high school and college with that identity. Um, realizing that, you know, that, that wasn't me. I wasn't like the brainy kid anymore. Um, and I think, actually that I've always been a puff. It just took me a while to realize that about myself. Um, And I think I needed that, that sort of like school identity crisis to realize that.
0: Okay. Speaking of this, I think I finally, I figured it out now that I was thinking. (laughs) I think (laughs) since you asked when my Hufflepuff showed up, I think my Hufflepuff actually showed up when I was very young, and I was more Hufflepuff as a kid, well, with Gryffindor, I used to run away all the time. My parents had to put a special lock on the door so I wouldn't run into the street. Um, so I think I was pretty balanced, but I think I burned as a Hufflepuff pretty young. And so I buried my Hufflepuff for a long time, but I think it started coming out more end of high school and into college. I started letting that come back, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I find it so much more useful to talk about houses as a spectrum uh, because, you know, at, to quote my favorite play that just closed R.I.P., why be one thing when you can be everything else? Um, and so <laughs> I think... It's a terrible idea to group kids together, but I think it's very useful shorthand um, to talk about people and personalities, you know, sort of the same way you say introvert or extrovert. Um, and that like tells you something about a person or like the INFJ Myers-Briggs that whole yeah. thing that I don't quite get. That one, yes. Um, like, I feel like if I tell you that, like, you know, I am a Ravenclaw with Hufflepuff tendencies, like, you know a lot about me, um, that I, I would, it would have taken me a lot of words to convey otherwise. And I feel like that's sort of been one of the best things to come out of the sorting system is just this new language we have for talking about people and characters.
3: And if I can moralize for two seconds, because yes, Ravenclaws do have a moral compass. (laughs) Um, I know Mm -hmm. Gryffindors do too, but, um, I think those systems are helpful, like what you just described. You can say some to someone, I'm an INTJ, and they'll have a system to understand what that is. Or, you know, there are the colors, and there are the animals, and there are the hats, and there are all these different ways to shorthand um, understanding that relationship with someone. And in her story, Rowling still manages to communicate that for all you can put a label on someone, it doesn't define the entirety of who they are. You still have to know them as a person, right? So, so I could tell you I'm an INTJ, and you yeah. would understand some things about me, but uh, until we knew that Allison was almost impeached in fifth grade as the class president, <laughs> we knew she was a Gryffindor. We didn't understand what that looked like for her, right? And um, and and I yeah. think that's a beauty of what Rowling manages to communicate through her narrative is these labels only go so far. In in shorthanding that, and they certainly mm-hmm. don't remove the, nece- the necessity to know people as individuals.
1: Right, because Harry doesn't look like Neville, yeah. doesn't look like Ron, Hermione, the twins. They're all Gryffindors, yeah. but very, very different ones.
0: It's like mm-hmm. these labels can kind of bring you together with the people that... Will understand to, to whom things are intuitive. You know, like other ra- if... Ravenclaws
3: get things intuitively yeah. about about me as a Ravenclaw, where I would have to explain that to a Hufflepuff, or you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if, like, to the Hufflepuffs and Hogwarts, if like Neville and Ron and Hermione and Harry all look the same because all they see is Gryffindor.
1: I bet they do. So hmm. I,
3: it's why it's why I respect what Rowling did I... narratively in fleshing out. These labels only go so far, right? They're a useful system and they're a tool. They're not a substitute for understanding people. And it's what Dumbledore, going back to Dumbledore, shows so well is he could put all the labels on Voldemort. But until he understood Voldemort as a person, he couldn't figure out what would defeat him individually.
0: Yeah, I think you're Mm -hmm. right. Since we've kind of started doing this a little bit with Dumbledore, should we jump into having some fun of dual sorting some other characters that maybe haven't been haven't been done dual sorted before? Sure, let's
1: do it because yeah. uh, okay. I really want to see what you have to say about Oliver Wood.
0: Yeah. Uh my claim is that Oliver Wood is very much a Gryffindor, yes, but Oliver Wood has a strong Slytherin side because he has that ambition For that Quidditch cup and nothing else, right? He would watch the
3: world burn as long as the Quidditch pitch was still standing. A hundred
0: percent. You can't cancel Quidditch, right? Like, you can't do that. Harry, get that snitch or die trying. Like, I don't care if you die as long as we win. Right. And McGonagall Um, (laughs) looks at
1: him like he said something terrible. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Um, the fact that in Prisoner of Ask the Weasley twins say, we think he's trying to drown himself because he's lost it, yeah. right? Like, he feels like he has lost his only thing he's been working for for seven years. And <laughs> I just, and you all know how much I love Oliver Wood. He's got some strong Slytherin streaks in there. <laughs>
1: okay, but how do you reconcile that with the fact that he wouldn't take the replay against Hufflepuff when Cedric offered. That's, yeah, his,
0: that's Gryffindor. his Gryffindor. That's his Gryffindor saying it's not right. Mor- morally, it is not right to try and make our way to the top with something like that. It was a fair and square catch. That's the rules of the game. As a moral Gryffindor, we follow the rules of the game. We cannot break the rules of the game. Even I, if I don't know. There list.
3: are a bunch of Gryffindors running around Hogwarts after curfew. So I don't think Gryffindors have any problem breaking the rules. I think
0: Oliver would... Well, I think I think the rules of his game, right? right? Like you don't get the glory if you're not doing it right, right?
1: Then it's a cheap... Right, game. like his own moral yeah. compass says that we got to win the Quidditch Cup fair and square. yeah.
0: Yeah, like it has to be a glorious achievement we have made, and we've done it right, and it's just us. Well,
3: and I think I think it part of also what what it is for Gryffindors is Gryffindors have no problem after giving it their best effort saying it didn't work. He doesn't need a replay. He's like, well, we went out, we gave it our best effort in in a fair fight. We lost, and no skin off our back because we have a fight tomorrow that we're going to go out and fight. You know, there's a there's a. Just to wash your hands of it and move on. And we're still Gryffindors mentality to that.
0: Anyone else? Characters that they think should be dual house sorted and wow. Okay,
1: well, Oliver Woods, uh, bunk mate uh, slash lover based on the fanfics you read, Percy Weasley. Oh, gosh.
0: We talked about Percy with Chris Rankin, actually. And I think that, that we was an amazing was episode. episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, like, I think, uh, Percy has very, very strong Slytherin tendencies. I feel like based on the system we're going, he was raised by the Weasleys. So like, he has the primary Gryffindor of like, this is my moral compass. This is like what I'm doing. This is like how to do the thing. Uh, but then he has a very strong secondary Slytherin where he wants, um, the glory. He wants to be minister of magic, um, he wants to do all these things. Prefix who gained. Power. Yes. Oh, my God. I can't believe that's a book.
0: <laughs> I just want to know, really, like they, someone wrote a whole book. They were like, who was a prefect at Hogwarts and what, how did they get power? Like,
3: what? Well, <laughs>
1: like, also, like 20% <laughs> of the Hogwarts, like p- attendees are prefix. Yeah. Did Slughorn
3: write this book? That's what were just they like all in the slug club? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Oh by lying my all the people Ew. I've helped
0: raise to power.
1: Headcanon accepted. Oh, gosh, I bet yeah. it was. I like it.
0: <laughs> Jeez. Beth, you brought up something interesting about heads of houses. I, I want to know what dual houses
3: they would have. And then looking at Dumbledore, because he installed a lot of these heads of houses, we talked about how Dumbledore goes through all four of those houses in his life. Did he see the harm, essentially, in the sorting system, and did he pick heads of houses who tended towards middle versus extreme of their house? That's the discussion question.
2: Well, do we think Snape tended towards (laughs) middle? Snape was part of the plan. That's true. I think, though, if you look at all the other ones, then maybe, yeah. And so let's see if we can figure out what the duel is. Well, we know that McGongle and
1: Flitwick were hat stalls between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw.
2: Right. And I think that that checks out. Yeah. Snape, can we argue that Snape has a Gryffindor? No, we not He has a, no, he has so a no, Ravenclaw he, side. No, Ravenclaw
1: side. No.
3: He loves knowledge for the pursuit of okay. knowledge. Exactly.
1: Like, the way I always think of it, like, the Ravenclaw okay. outlook on life is, we're not nice, but we're not wrong. And I feel like...
3: Can I, can I put that on a business card? Like, yes, and please. I'll credit
1: you for sure. But can I put that on a business yeah, card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been collecting house mottos uh, as my way of understanding the houses. So for Ravenclaw, it's that. We're not nice, but we're not wrong. Uh, for Hufflepuff, all credit to Matt Cox. We are not a threat. Please be our friend. Please be our friend. <laughs> Guys, I love Puff so much, I have feelings. Uh, and uh, Gryffindor, and I was literally on a road trip in a car full of Gryffindors when I heard this. I will die on every hill. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I feel that. I feel that. Or fight me as the Gryffindor.
1: <laughs> yeah. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, yep, that <laughs> is Gryffindor in, like, six words or less. Yeah. Um, and I haven't, like, heard the perfect one for Slytherin yet. I, I I have my ears out. Listeners, if you think you have the perfect Slytherin motto, please leave it in the comments for us.
2: <laughs> okay, so so we think that Snape is Duel with Ravenclaw... Uh, we did Flitwick and McGonagall are dual of each yeah. other. So, what about Slughorn?
1: Slytherin, just Slytherin on top no, of Slytherin.
2: Okay, no, I, mm,
0: I think he might have either a, he might have a Hufflepuff model because I think he ingratiates himself to people in order to kind of like manipulate them. Does that make sense? And he's like, oh, yes, come to my club. Come to my fancy dinner parties. We're a community now, except for I want you to be part of this, so I can manipulate Well,
1: it's also the exact opposite of, like, fairness and hard work. Like, he, he does not treat everyone equally or fairly. Like, yeah. he picks and chooses, mostly based on nepotism, at least when we see it, so not valuing hard work.
2: Does he have, like, is there any part of him that does care about helping other people even even if it even though he does find it important for it to somehow benefit him as well do we think that helping other people is any part of his motivation? no, no. not unless it's someone who can help him
0: later
1: exactly on. i feel like he I doesn't mean, mind in- helping people if it also helps him like all things being e- equal he's like yeah why not i'll give you a leg up but he doesn't do it out of altruistic well, reasons.
2: Okay, what about what about those times where he's convinced to do the right thing, even though it doesn't help him and it's not what he wants? When has he I been
1: convinced he of that? Yeah,
0: I was going to say the only times I can think of are in Deathly Hallows, where he's like waffling and McGonagall has to straight up be like, Horace, you either fight with us or you fight against us and you're going to choose right now. Um, right. and he, I mean, obviously he can figure out, he's like, I'm gonna choose you. Um,
1: Pokemon. Okay,
0: and the other time I can think of. <laughs>
1: and I think
3: that's what makes him a Hufflepuff. There are a couple of things. One, um, I think he is fair. He's, his, mm,
4: Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
3: he values talent, but he's fair in that assessment of it. Um, he treats, certainly when we see the Slug Club come in in book six, he's picking people with good connections. To assess them, but he assesses them on their own ability, like not necessarily their own ability, but on I don't them, think so. either their pure well, talent or, or their further connection. So in that sense, he's, I don't he's fair so. within his own
0: because of Belby. I don't think so, but he, he gives up on Belby. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's not a fair thing. Belby has a strong connection, but as soon as he finds out, Oh, it's actually not like, a workable connection. Yeah, he doesn't care anymore. He throws Belby aside. Also,
1: Hufflepuffs are patient, and he has no patience. Like, it literally yes. all takes is one yeah. sentence, being like, we're not close, being like, okay, no pheasant for you.
2: I think, though, that, like, as a teacher, I, I definitely think he plays favorites and he, like, with with inviting students to have other opportunities with him, but I think that in his classroom, I think he is fair. Um... In a way that Snape definitely is. I mean, not. Snape
1: is not exactly the standard against which to measure no. fairness.
2: I,
0: I mean, that's I think true. they're both kind of unfair in their own ways. I think Slughorn is a little bit more affably unfair. Yeah, where like it's. I mean, he 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 plays obvious favorites, yeah. and and that's not fair. Whereas Snape is like maliciously unfair. <laughs>
1: But right. to quote Dumbledore, sometimes neglect does more harm than outright dislike.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. So if he's not Hufflepuff, what is he? We were talking about times where Slughorn soldiering. did did the right thing. It, there's that time in Deathly Hallows where he chooses to fight for the, the good side. Um, and then when he gives in and helps Harry, right? Isn't like, does he get anything out of that? I don't think he does.
0: Because I think he gets, he gets played by Harry, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he gets some of his guilt kind of assuaged by giving Harry that memory. Because Harry convinces him that's how he'll feel. Uh, because that's what he needed to hear. Was he needed to hear, what will you get out of this? You will get penance for your yeah, guilt yeah harry offers him absolution that, that's
1: still selfish that's,
0: that's yeah. a good point and for the battle of hogwarts it's you'll die and we'll kill you i mean i think mcgonagall legit says we duel to kill horace and he's like well i'm not like it is in my best interest <laughs>
1: to well because at that point he knows he's not going to be welcomed with open arms by Voldemort because oh, he knows yeah. too much oh, so yeah. like if the other side is, like, choose now or we're going to kill you, like, it's a no-brainer. That's self-preservation.
2: Yes. So I think he, I, mean, I think he's a pure yep. Slytherin. I've mostly just been trying to drive conversation. I completely agree
1: with you guys. <laughs> Okay.
2: <laughs> I definitely think <laughs> that he is What about Sprout? A what about Sprout? Do you think Sprout is... I think she's got some Gryffindor yep. in her. I'd take that. I I think the way that she just, like, brazenly approaches really freaking scary plants <laughs> and scary situations and she's just like yep we've got this we're all good <laughs> we can handle it
0: i agree with that in the fact that like she feels prepared for it you mm-hmm. know where mm-hmm. like yep. i've done the work i understand the plants i can be brave yep. about the plants you know like
2: right yeah like i know i know i know how to handle these plants and therefore i am confident in my ability to do that um and you know when she goes into battle she's like yep i've got plans i know yeah i've got a, i've got assets on my side and and i know how to use them and watch out Yeah.
1: But isn't that more Ravenclaw than Gryffindor? The fact that she's put in the work that she's prepared, that she has a plan. there's also some
0: bravery to being willing to approach some of those plants, you know, like to be willing to learn about and to maybe approach those plants, not on necessarily like a conquering kind of idea, which I think a lot of wizards might, but instead to let me understand you, let me like, you know.
1: Well, that's much more the Hufflepuff Newt's commander model, where he's like, has got some Gryffindor." You know, I guess you have to be brave to like, you know, approach these I things that can kill you. But he's like, Breffindor. "Oh, they just need some love." It's almost
2: like past the bravery, right? Like, like Newt would never think of himself as brave because the the compassion that he feels completely overrides that. That, like, fear that others have. um, And just, like, totally wipes out all the other things. And he just, you know, wants to help them. Um, And I don't know if Sprout, like, feels that compassionate sort of way toward her plants. I think some people might. But I don't know that she does. I think she sees her plants as... Um, you know, they all have functions. They all have a purpose.
1: That's true. I can't imagine Uh, nude cutting up his creatures to make a potion.
2: Well, but
0: I think to some extent, Sprout also sees this is why we grow the plants, you know, like she's like, this is why this is the purpose that the plants have been cultivated for. So we use them for their purpose. Um, Right. I don't think
2: she, you know, is growing mandrakes to have mandrakes. No. I think she's growing mandrakes because They are able to be used for purpose. So I think that's some of that Gryffindor morality
0: too, where it's like they have a purpose. It is right to grow these things for this purpose so we can do good things.
1: But again, Ravenclaw, she has a system where you grow the plants to make things from them and she works within the system.
0: Yeah. But the reasons why I think are going to be what separates a Gryffindor and a Ravenclaw there. Yeah. She has a much more Um,
3: practical and pragmatic approach or perspective on her plants. Um It's not yes. quite as much seeking out knowledge for its own value and to increase her own knowledge of it, to hold that knowledge. There's just a pragmatism to, she always kind of comes across to me as a little bit brusque, but not enough that word has some negative yes. connotation. Mm-hmm. I, so strip that connotation out of it. Um, she's just very, she's very brusque and matter of fact and, this you know straightforward in a way a gryffindor is straightforward so i think she leans yeah. more gryffindor than ravenclaw although i would arguably maybe there's not enough text in to her character to really shape that out definitively i don't i don't think she's a yeah. clear one to to draw on
2: it's interesting because the arguments for ravenclaw that i was hearing i was like yeah i think i'm getting swayed and then the arguments for gryffindor i'm like I yeah i think the same. i'm getting swayed <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, okay. Next argument. Mad eye Moody.
0: Gryffindor. Ooh, Gryffindor. Without a doubt. Straight, fully. This is pure Mad eye Moody, right? We're not yeah. talking about Crouch Mad eye Moody. 100% no, no, no. Like, Moody, 100% Gryffindor. 100% I, Gryffindor. I, I because think so too. He's got that very strong. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. There is no gray area, right? He yeah. gets upset when he's like, you're going to give someone a pass just because they have information. Nah, get their information and then get rid of it, you know? Um, And, of course, he very much charges in there. He's that that grizzled warrior. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Glad we all agree. Just thought I'd bring it up.
0: So, Umbridge. Umbridge is officially a Ravenclaw, I believe? No, no, no. She's officially a a Slytherin. Slytherin. Okay. Which,
1: yes, she's a Slytherin. Like, anyone want to argue?
0: Why do I always feel like she's got some Ravenclaw in her?
1: I don't know, because she's literally opposed to knowledge and learning. (laughs)
3: I should know this, but, uh, educate me. Where do we know that, uh, Umbridge is a Slytherin? Pottermore. Is that Pottermore? Okay. okay. Yeah. Um,
1: so actually, um, Rowling said that at an event. Okay. Um, I think it was the casual vacancy, um, thing oh, at Jazz and Lickin Center. Someone just like literally asked her, like, you know, what's Umbridge? And she was like, a Slytherin. And it was like recorded or noted somehow. So we're like, well, there it is. Uh, it's canon now. And then in the Pottermore piece, it, it confirmed okay. it.
3: I could, yeah, I couldn't remember if it was an interview Which, or like, Pottermore or both. I, or
1: I can't believe someone had the presence of mind to like ask her a real question when they met her, because like I was there too, and I just showed up and I was like, I, I, every good thing in my life is thanks to you, so just uh, thank you. And then I like gave her a letter <laughs> I wrote, and just like and I, I remember, uh so like we go downstairs after meeting her, and we're all just smiling about, it, and we're like, you know, if I went outside right now and got run over by a truck, there'd be no hard feelings.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, I have one. Lupin.
0: Ooh, I think Ooh. Lupin's got some strong Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think a lot of it comes from his self deprecation. Because I think but, he but, feels, but like,
1: Hufflepuffs aren't self-deprecating. No, what like, I'm saying
0: is, is his Hufflepuff tendencies come because he hates himself so much, he wants to love everybody more. He sees but, everybody else as so much better than him that he wants them to have every kind of life imaginable and to give everything he is so that they can be better because he finds himself deplorable.
1: Um, but, but I, I disagree with that. I, I don't think he, wants, like, he wants everything great for other people. I think he wants to be loved. Like, I think that, that, that is his whole, like, be all, end all reason for existing is he just needs to feel loved and accepted. Um, and I, I don't really think that's a Hufflepuff thing because Hufflepuffs are more about loving and accepting others than just needing that validation on their own.
0: Which I think he does, though. I think he does very much love and accept others and build and, I mean, the thing that breaks Lupin is the loss of his community, right? The loss of yeah. the people who opened right. their arms to him that breaks lupin
2: i I always get a vibe from Lupin that like he feels like he is such a horrible thing in the world that he has to balance that out somehow, yeah, by um doing good. and so, like his work with the werewolf community during the war like he i don't think ever really wanted that no. life i don't think he i don't think he personally got anything out of doing that except for feeling like he was balancing out his existence and he helped the cause yeah right which is really heartbreaking i think <laughs> if
0: i think his hufflepuff whatever form it takes is like incredibly burned like well, mm-hmm.
3: whatever, yes.
0: wherever you sort Lupin, there's like damage, 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 damage. He, like, yes. He's yeah. difficult
3: to classify for that, I think, for that reason. Yeah.
0: yeah. But he's not a burned Hufflepuff in the way
3: Barty Crouch is a, is a burned Hufflepuff, and I think that's because no. he's no. primarily a Gryffindor. Yes. With, and yeah. I think with, a, with a Hufflepuff I think methodology, Hufflepuff, essentially.
0: Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think I mean, the thing that breaks Lupin is that loss of the people he felt like supported him and accepted him and that is too much you know to the fact where when someone wants to accept and support him again in the form of talks he won't take it right he says no like i am too broken for you go find someone whole and she's like my dude
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and the other thing is so like When they both got burned, um, like Crouch still found someone to be in that community with him, uh Voldemort, which was not a good choice. (laughs) Whereas Lupin (laughs) lost everything. Within within twenty four hours, he lost all three of the people who would be in his community. So for like four, I I think
0: Lily was really part of his community.
1: Yeah. Debatable, but okay. Um and by that
0: point. I'll say by that point.
1: Yeah. Um And so for like a decade and a half, he, he had no community, none at all. So it it was just him. I feel like if there was anyone left, if like one of the Marauders had made it out, I think he would have that fanatical devotion sort of similar to what Barty Crouch had for Voldemort, where Lupin would just be like, I live for you. I breathe for you. Well,
3: he has that a little bit vis-a-vis Dumbledore. Um in, in Yes, yes, he absolutely that, does. Um, yeah, I think it was you, Beth, made earlier about the lengths he's willing to go in service to Dumbledore yeah. in in books five and book six. So maybe he is burned in the same way Barty Crouch is, but he's primarily a Gryffindor.
1: <laughs> well, but it's kind of different because I feel like Lupin is just sort of like add nothing left to lose by that point. I feel like once he like loses Sirius a second time, mm-hmm. then he's just so burnt that he's like, all right, well, like, I got nothing going on, so yeah. what do you he's need? Got nothing, like, oh, he's got about? nothing
0: left to lose.
1: Yeah. Whereas Barty Crouch Jr. very much like has these like visions of a glorious future where like Voldemort is gonna be like his like surrogate father because he has all these daddy issues and they both <laughs> do and So Bar-
3: <laughs> <Yeah. Sorry. laughs> So Barty Crouch is fighting because he sees that fighting will lead to a future he wants, and Lupin yes. is fighting because he because has no he future. sees a future. He sees no future. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was super like downer, like bummer guys. Oh, <laughs> her, every,
1: every, every time Lupin comes character.
0: up, <laughs> let's talk about Jenny. Jenny's a
1: about Ginny. Slytherin.
0: So Slytherin.
1: She's yeah. got so yeah. much Slytherin.
3: So do you agree with the way that the, the sorting hat chats classified her primarily as a Slytherin with a secondary Gryffindor?
2: Yes, I don't. Ooh, oh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that like, the, I know she's described in the book like this all over the place, but her like fiery personality, um, f- feels very Gryffindor to me. But that's her secondary. Um, I I don't know about that.
0: But I think her. I think her Slytherin comes into the point that she definitely has some ambition there. And she has since she was a child. I mean, sneaking into the broom shed to steal their brooms since she was right. six. Um, she is kind of misguided in some ways with the ambition in that she wants Harry so much to be hers, I think, as a child, that she kind of freaks out about him. Until Hermione's like, that's not how this works. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, But I think we also see she could be kind of ruthless. I mean, when they're like, well, what does Michael Corner say about that at the end of... Uh, Order of the Phoenix, she, like, very nonchalantly is like, oh, he was a sore loser, so I dumped him. And, like, everyone's like, you what now? And she's like, yeah, he was kind of terrible. I dumped him. I'm with Dean Thomas now. And she's just, like, sitting there reading the Quibbler. And everyone else is like, what's going on? <laughs> like,
1: Well, Ginny just sort of um, keeps a lot of her emotions, like... To herself and just works through, um, all her own sh** on her own terms. Cause like, you know, we never see her, um, do, like, we never see her recovery from the Tom Riddle episode. That's true. But like, there very much clearly, like, was a recovery period cause she's traumatized at the end of, uh, Chamber of Secrets. And then by Goblet of Fire, she's like completely, you know, happy, you know, normal person, like, is it, fine. Um, but so like, you know, in during Prisoner of Azkaban, there must have been, like, a lot of her working through her issues, uh, but, but, well, I don't know if she keeps it to herself, but she doesn't share it with Harry, which, I mean, if she has a huge crush on Harry, then she won't share all her, like, issues with him. Uh, so yeah, are you like- saying
0: her Slytherin is kind of a coping mechanism to deal with that?
1: No, but okay. Uh, that's, that's what that's- I was getting
0: from what you were saying. I was just trying to...
1: No, I, um, I, I just sort of was thinking about houses. I was thinking about, like, why we don't see her, like, why she's being so nonchalant about it. Um, because she just, like, has her emotions in check around Harry. Um, but to the housing conversation, I, I think Ginny's very much a Gryffindor because she has the morality and, um, you know, the foolhardy, like, yeah, charge into battle attitude. Um, and then she's a secondary Slytherin because, yeah. ruthless streak
0: but that charge into battle though is is a is a how which is a secondary the why is the primary so it'd be the question of okay why does she decide to charge into battle I, i is it because she thinks it's right or because she thinks it's hers and i think actually it's because she feels in a lot of ways it's hers and it's it's her circle, and so she's gonna fight for it, and that means charging in.
1: Well, it's tough because, like, we don't know how <sighs> I'm trying to articulate this. Um, everyone is always trying to shelter her from these battles, yeah. So, we so basically, we never quite know, um, how much of it is her being like, I want to fight for my people versus, um, I want to fight for the world, just because the conversation is always focused around her just getting to fight.
0: But I think to some extent, too, we see. The differences between what Ginny will do when someone is in her circle or out, because at the beginning of Order the Phoenix, she tells she's the first person to say, "Oh, that's just loony love, good, right?" Mm -hmm. And a year later, Luna tells Harry, "Ginny top stopped some boys calling me Luna the loony the other day," you know, like and like to the point of where she's like going to fight someone. So I feel like over the course of that year, Ginny went from. Luna is an other, an outsider to Ginny is one of or to Luna is one of mine, so I protect her, and if you want to do anything to her or say anything against her, you have me to answer to. Which is pretty Slytherin.
1: Okay. Good point. Nicely phrased.
0: But I think <laughs> she's pretty equal, Gryffindor and Slytherin, you know.
1: Yeah. Which like <sighs> I try not to harp on about a Cursed Child, but, like, what a missed opportunity if Albus Severus ends up in Slytherin. Why don't we have him and Ginny talking it out?
0: Because it happens offstage.
1: <laughs> I'm convinced it happens offstage
0: at some point. And I'm convinced Ginny doesn't want to harp on it because she doesn't want him to feel bad. She just wants him to be like, that's your house. Accept it. Live it. Cool. But sh- she wants... Albus, I think, looks up Albus and Ginny are more natural. Yeah. Have a more natural, easy relationship. Whereas I think Albus looks up to Harry so incredibly much and wants all of Harry's attention and love and praise, but they just have kind of a communication barrier. (laughs) And so Ginny's like, you need to solve this communication barrier because this is all your son wants. Like is for, is to feel your love and praise and acceptance of him. Um, and so Harry tries and Harry does it very badly. And then we get their rift. And then they finally, by the end, start being like, oh, okay. <laughs> like This is how we show we care about each other. Let's, let's figure this out a little bit more. Whereas I think Ginny and Albus have never had anything like that. I mean, I've talked about before how one of my favorite moments in the uh, London previews was Albus is asleep on the pew in the church and Ginny was just sitting there just like stroking his head as he was sleeping and just like being like this is my baby, you know. Um and uh Nick who plays Albus right now on Broadway, uh we interviewed him at San Diego Comic-Con and he I asked him how he approaches Albus and he said I approach him like a weasley. Um in that I approach him that he's more in character like Ginny than he is like Harry in a lot of ways. And like, he's got that kind of anything you can do, anything you put your mind to attitude and anything's possible if you've got enough nerve.
1: Yeah. Well, and so much of um that aspect of Ginny's character is her mentors. Cause yes. you look at the Weasley twins and then you look at Hermione and like both of them have a ruthless streak. Both of them very much like, you know, go after what they want and get it, Um, but both of them are very Gryffindorish and have their very strong moral compasses. So I feel like, yeah, Ginny is just sort of the, the byproduct of the twins and Hermione's upbringing. Yeah. Ginny's great. I love her.
0: I love Ginny. Ginny's awesome. Shall we wrap it there, then? <laughs> we can cut this. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, good to, to end me. on Ginny. Yeah. I think we yes. covered a nice... But-
3: like range of characters from like Barty yeah. Jr. to Jenny. Like that's a nice span of, of the, of the canon. Absolutely. So.
0: And with that, we'll leave all of you listeners to go read sorting hat chats and decide if you are more than one house.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, give a, give us your house journey. Yeah. Um, what house combo you are, you know, how it happened when it happened, you know, tell us about you listeners.
2: I can't wait to read all of those. Yes. That'll be good.
1: All right. Well, and, uh, Beth, I just want to thank you so much for being our guest this episode. Uh, it's been great having you here. I
3: appreciate the opportunity. It's been wonderful.
1: Yes. And thank
2: you for being another Beth. There aren't very many of those. <laughs> yeah. We are awesome. Are we not? Right away. I knew you'd be <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> and this podcast could always use more Ravenclaws, especially the Ravenclawiest Ravenclaws there are.
3: Cause remember we're not nice, <laughs> but we're not wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next episode will be chapter nine of Sorcerer's Stone, The Midnight Duel. I'm looking forward to this Ooh. one. This is a fun chapter. <laughs> so tune in for that.
0: And if you want to join us on that chapter discussion or on any of our future upcoming episodes, go to our website, com, and choose Be On The Show. Follow the instructions, send us your audition. I, For whatever topic you want to be on, audition as much as you want, guys. Do it. (laughs) Um, You can also visit the topic submit page to tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about, like house duality that was suggested by you guys. Um, You'll need a microphone and a pair of headphones. If you're chosen to guest host, we will walk you through everything else you need.
2: If you would like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MN. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash door. Our website is alohomorapodcast.com. Our YouTube is youtube.com slash MN. And our email is podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.
1: And one more reminder for you guys to check out our Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash alohomora uh, for all kinds of goodies. Thanks again so much to Karen Abel for sponsoring this episode. Yay! 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 And you too can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month. And be sure to check out the higher tiers for access to Dumbledore's office, episode sponsoring, and decals.
0: And with that, we're going to go talk to the Sorting Hat for a little while about
1: Systems. Yeah, to just work through all our, you know, personality all of our issues. issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Allison. I'm Irvin.
2: And I'm Beth. Thank you for listening to episode 279 of Alo Famora. Open the
0: Gryffindor Dumbledore, Hufflepuff Dumbledore, Ravenclaw Dumbledore, Slytherin Dumbledore? What is Dumbledore? All the Dumbledores. All together.
1: <laughs> Bravo. <laughs>
3: I'm so used to hearing the music at this point. It feels very absent. Yeah.
2: Yes. Um, I just did my shower drain and it was so like I. a crime scene. I almost <laughs> threw up. You can cut that part out. <laughs>
0: <up. laughs> um, <laughs> like, but like
1: I I really did guys. Uh, the real uh, Elahomora hosts um, unfiltered.
0: It was so gross. I don't think it. Had this episode ever- is
3: like true confessions <laughs> of Allison here.
0: <laughs> for real. <so laughs> sorry. It's that kind of time. I've been off the show for a while, haven't I? Um <laughs>